This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Hello and welcome back to episode 143 of this Unomics podcast. Shout out to those who listened to last week's episode. A very important episode where I speak about the points-based immigration system, which is what has been implemented in the United Kingdom. So this ties into a lot of things. Brexit, um, the Jamaica 50, Windrush, just xenophobia, racism, all types of economics. So make sure you check that episode out. Um, Due to the fact that COVID-19 is pamming our ass, I'll probably do a Corona update every episode. Just to keep it in the loop because there's a lot of cap on these streets. Um, This podcast is divided into three segments. First, you're going to hear from the legendary Dr. Lee, me and my boy, we're going to discuss COVID-19, this strand of corona, why, what corona is, um, why it's so different from the flu and other corona strains, um, how you could, the best practices to avoid it as much as you possibly can, um, what happens when you get it, um, who's in danger, and we analyse whether the UK's response was good and we compare the UK's response to other countries such as Singapore, Hong Kong, Italy, um, China, etc. Then the second segment, joined by longtime fave um, David Bell, aka Mr. Macrodisiac himself, we spoke more to do with the markets and the, and the economical side of things. So what's been happening in the markets, what's been happening in certain economies, the role central banks are playing right now, and what we... Are we going to be in a global economic crisis? If so, for how long? What's going to happen? And the final segment will be just me, myself. The streets wanted a budget breakdown, so I'm going to talk about the budget and I'm going to answer some people's questions. So that's the format of today's pod. So you know roughly what's coming up, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, I it's MXM, and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. It's lit. Hello, it's welcome lit. back to another episode of Dysonomics podcast. So I'm joined again. By the legendary Dr. Lee. What are you saying? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Still trying to work out if I have corona or not, but... <laughs> ah, don't worry, man. It's cool. It's easy. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> so, we're gonna... I'm trying to give people regular corona updates because a lot of stuff out there is a lot of misinformation. So okay. I thought, who better than to get tried and tested? My, my guy, Dr. Lee. So... Could you explain to the people what actually is corona and how does it differ from other things? So let's say a flu or a cold. Okay. So I think we've got to make a distinction here. So I'm going to be talking about COVID-19, which yes. is the specific new virus that's been going around. Yeah. So 
COVID-19 is part of a, it's a virus which is part of a family of viruses. The family of viruses is, are called the coronaviruses, of which there's several, and this is a new strain which has not previously been identified in humans before. Mm. So basically, it's a virus which affects your breathing system or your respiratory tract. Um, the main symptoms that you get are cough, fever, and shortness of breath. So uh, for a lot of people, the symptoms are very, very similar or can be indistinguishable for things like common cold or flu, um, but it's essentially a different virus. And that's really what it is. Okay, so what are the symptoms? So um, you said <coughs> a cough, yep. shortness of breath. Yeah, um, and fever. And, and fever. So how does yeah. somebody differentiate between shortness of breath? Because that's what I was thinking. Like, How do you... What is shortness of breath? Like, how do you ascertain that? I should probably caveat this at this point, saying nothing I say on this podcast constitutes as medical advice. Yeah, yeah, facts, um, facts. Yeah, just because of medical advice. And if you have any medical advice that you need, you should go and speak to your own general practitioner or call 111 as per the guidance. But yeah, so shortness of breath generally means that you're struggling to catch your breath. So your breathing rate increases because you're struggling to catch your breath. And so some people would describe it as you're feeling like when you're, you know, when you're running or jogging or something like that. Yeah. And then you can't hold a conversation. It's like that, but when you're sitting down doing nothing, essentially. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what are, um, so what are the best steps to take if you have, if you if you feel like you have certain um, symptoms, and, right, I, I, so, and what are the, are the authorities recommending as we speak? So this is all actually just changed today, and this has been a big bugbear of mine, and probably a bugbear of people working in the NHS and everyone on the front lines, because myself and other people feel they've been too late to update the guidance to what the current guidance has been changed to today. So. As of today, which is Friday the 13th of March, the advice is if you have a new continuous cough or a fever or flu-like symptoms, you, self, you self-isolate for seven days, meaning that you stay at home, you don't see no one, you don't go nowhere. Um, so that, that doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter where, if any travel history, if you've got any of those symptoms that are new onset, you stay at home. That's the current guidance. What they say is if you're well, and so you're not really too bad, you just got like a little bit of a cough, you're a bit of a fever, but you feel okay in yourself, then you don't really need to call 111. You just self-isolate, stay at home until you feel better. If you don't feel well and you're feeling, ah, oh, I'm not really feeling very good, then you still stay at home and self-isolate and you do call 111. But it's do not go to your C or GP and do not rock up to A&E saying I've got a cough and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you call 111. I mean, the only time you really want to go to A&E is if you feel that you can't, it, you're so unwell that you can't wait for 111 and you feel like it, you feel very, very, very bad. Then that's a reason to maybe call 999 or go to A&E. Okay. Um, is, so have you had people just rock up to your practice with, say, yo, like... Bro, oh, if I'm just, yeah, going off sort of... Um, Oh, it's, it's, it's a bit mad, right? So, initially, because I think the public health information at the beginning wasn't very good, we just had people turning up, um, which was not ideal because that's just spreading the virus. But I do and I don't blame people at the same time because um, it's up to us as clinicians and it's up to the government to give people the knowledge on what really to do. 
And um, yeah, people were just rocking up. People had just been rocking up to A&E. But then obviously, if you think about it, you're just spreading the virus and putting loads of people at risk. If you rock up to somewhere where a lot of people are sick, mm-hmm. a lot of people are vulnerable, you're just putting all of these people at risk to getting really, really unwell. And like, I mean, there's a couple of misconceptions, obviously. So young people will be fine. Young people will just be, it's not an issue. Obviously, the survival rate in young people is great. But the thing is, if you look at the sort of mortalities, if you go and look at sort of young people under 40s, yes, it is 0.2%. But the big risk is if you're a young person and you have the illness and you go home and you've got an elderly mm-hmm. grandparent or elderly parent or someone with like heart problems or high blood pressure, etc., then you risk passing it on to them. And if you look at the mortality rate for the over the globe, the global mortality rate is about 3.4%. So if you compare that to the normal flu, for example, normal flu is about 1%. Mm. But that ratchets up massively when you've got different comorbidities. So the biggest at-risk group are people who have something we call cardiovascular disease or heart problems. So um, people who are um, what we call uh, basically have blocked arteries to their heart, which um, can cause, um, uh, which is what leads to causing heart attack eventually. But those, that, that group of people, which a lot of people have, which is undiagnosed, their mortality is up to 10%, I think 10 or 10.5%. Wow. If you look at people with chronic respiratory diseases or lung diseases like asthma and COPD, that, that group, the mortality goes up to 6.3%. And I think the biggest shocker for me was the group who just have high blood pressure, so don't have any other issues, which we know a lot of our aunties and uncles have high blood pressure or non-blood pressure medication, that group, their mortality is 6%. So 6% in people who just have high blood pressure who don't have anything else. So that is a significant mortality rate. So that's why, I mean, I, there's not many things that I really worry about, but personally, me personally, this is something I'm actually quite concerned about. And more not for, not for myself, more for my loved ones, ones, my yeah. mum and, 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 and older people with not even major comorbidities, but minor comorbidities and other health conditions. But... Yeah, it's a bit concerning. So I think it's really important that we do all that we can as a community to try and reduce the spread and to try and be sensible and to try and follow the guidance and the advice to the best of our ability. Yeah, like I'm similar to you. Um, we're both probably the least worried people, but our stuff in the world, but we're both yeah. have um, significant concerns regarding this. Okay, yeah. so in terms of, so we've seen it originate in Wuhan. Yeah, the streets are saying man them are eating Kentucky Fried Bat and that and, oh, then, yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then it's when well, I eating gourmet bat and it's now spread it's absolutely Pam in Italy we've seen it in other countries Pam in Iran um, yeah. I can't remember the other country um, we've seen some cases in America a few cases in the UK so mm. um, in your opinion um, how do you believe um, how do you assess how some of these countries have handled it especially ours whether it's been mm. good or bad, and how would you have handled it um, if you were in charge of a full autonomy? Okay. okay, so I have to obviously caveat this again. I'm not a public health expert. That's not my field of expertise. Mm. I will have, I do have strong opinions on it, but um, I, you have to cede knowledge to people who are specialists in this area. So yeah. the thing about the UK has a different plan to a lot of the other countries. And in my, it's a matter of opinions. In my personal opinion, I think... The, the UK has fallen down in a lot of different areas. So I'll start with what the UK are trying to do. So originally, when they started to go to what we call a contained phase, what a contained phase is, is where they try to limit the spread of the virus. So for example, uh, for just for example, if you have 
10 people with a virus, you want to think, oh, okay, nah, you, we lock you guys off we, so you don't spread it to anyone else and we try and just keep it to you 10 or to keep it to as many people as possible. Now, obviously, that's, that's, that's not that's not worked and it's still ratcheting up and they've moved to what we call the delay phase now the delay phase the idea of that is to try and delay the spread so instead of the numbers doubling every day for example um you're trying to limit that so they increase by less per day the reason you do that is because you want to slow down the upward trajectory of the amount of people who have coronavirus or who have COVID-19, let's say. Now, there's a couple of reasons that you want to do that or the country would want to do that because there is a tipping point where the NHS has a a set capacity and it can't go higher. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get to that point because when you get to that point and everything starts breaking down, that's when all hell breaks loose and it's anarchy. So the idea here is, one, in the winter where we are now because we're at the tail end of winter, the demand on the NHS is at the highest. So you want to push the peak or the amount the peak amount of cases as close as far into the summer as possible because then traditional demand is lower um and then you've got more capacity to deal with this 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 illness and and this issue the second point is the slower that you um well the more you delay it and the slower that the peak rises um if you look at a bell curve or a a bell curve distribution which people can google you want that peak to be as low as possible so um it's so you're limiting the peak amount of cases. So obviously that's going to be beneficial in terms of capacity. So you want a nice shallow up curve of the amount of people who have it. It peaks at a lower point and then comes down nice and slowly. That's the idea of the delay phase and that's that's their plan. Now, me personally, I just feel like, I mean, we have lots of debates about this at work and a lot of us feel like, NHS 111 and a lot of the um, associated authorities have just been too slow to act at every stage. So it was only two weeks ago we were seeing patients who had all flu-like symptoms, new flu-like symptoms. For example, I'll give you another example. You see Italy. Italy's getting pammed right now, obviously. absolutely annihilated. Absolutely annihilated. It was only a couple of weeks ago I had a patient who... Um, came back from Italy on a ski trip, a young boy, and who developed new symptoms. He called 111. His parents called 111, followed all the right advice, and they told him to come into the GP. And they're thinking, hey, the reason they told us that is because Italy wasn't on the list of um, countries. It was all in the Far East. Okay. Two days later, Italy comes on the list. Like, <sighs> But common sense will tell you, Italy had more cases than I think it was Singapore at the time. So what? just because it's not on the list, 111 will point them in our direction. But then that's dumb. You're taking this kid, you're putting him in a GP practice, a big GP practice with a lot of people, with a lot of sick people. And I just feel like, uh, one, there's not been a common sense approach. And two, they've just been late to this day. So for me personally, if I was in charge or if I was in charge of public health, early on in this process, I would have said anyone with cold or flu-like symptoms and those type of things should be self-isolating. I would have brought in today's guidance a long time ago. Because that, I think that will be a big step in actually preventing and containing the virus when mm-hmm. it when it really kicks off. Um, I mean, I can understand why they don't want to do things like close schools because I mean, you're thinking about the economy. You're thinking about um, obviously healthcare workers who have children, so that's going to put, add more strain on the system. So I can understand things like that. But the things like self isolation and advice like that, I think they've really missed the boat. And I feel like I feel like the UK aren't really in control of this at the moment. 
and that that's that's what's a scary thing and if you compare it to countries like hong kong and singapore and a lot of the far eastern far eastern countries who had more cases but they were on point they were like look nah screening people coming into the country screening people going out uh, out of the country making sure that they um, self-isolated people they had much stricter regimes and they've i feel like they have their their epidemics under control um in comparison to the uk anyway that's that's just my personal opinion um and yeah i just i'm a bit concerned where this is going um i'm not i'm not i mean i give the uk a four out of ten for this at the moment really yeah from comparing to what i've seen from like taiwan and all those other places it seems it seemed like italy's far behind and i was listening to a podcast today um malcolm gladwell was on it and he was Mm. saying that the US are two weeks behind Italy and Italy are screwed. So he thinks the US are screwed. And he was saying, I think I'll put it in our group chat today, that um, some um, a lot of medics in, I think it's University of California, San Francisco, they were mm. saying that they reckon in the next 18 months, you're going to see up 40 to 50% of Americans infected and mm. potentially 1 million deaths, which is insane. Don't yeah. insane. So I don't think people get too scared, but... This is potentially how serious this this can be. So the thing is, I know there's cultural elements to it because I think people in different parts of the world are going to be amenable to different things from the government. Yeah. And I know countries like the US and the UK are really uh, freedoms very important. And to impinge on that type of freedom, it has to be something that's very serious. I just feel like they've taken a bit of a laxadaisical approach. They've taken it. A bit too, I mean, obviously, it's very good to be evidence based and scientific, but there's always a space for common sense as well. Um, and the, the reason you use the word guidelines, and the reason in medicine a lot of the time you use the word guidelines, they don't use rules, they use guidelines because guidelines are just there as literally guidelines. Mm. You should always think about it and use your common sense and your expertise and your medical acumen and mm. your, just your gut feeling and gut opinion to make decision whether I'm going to follow these guidelines or I'm going to stray from these guidelines and this is the reason I'm going to stray for it. And especially when you call 111, 111 seemed to me to be just reading from a script. I mean, I'm not, I know a lot of them are not going to be clinical. They're reading from a script and not using their common sense. So it's literally tick box, tick box, tick box, tick box, tick box, boom. Like, for example, I'll give you another case just for example. Um, I, um, I had a beef with 111, um, I think it was last Sunday, because they sent someone into the out of hours, which I was working in. But the dude was a, um, a taxi driver. And he was an a international taxi driver. Oh, God. <laughs> and he'd been picking up people from all over the world, from anywhere they'd travelled. Jesus. Um, and he said he'd pick, pick, picking up people from the Far East. He was a private courier, blah, blah, blah. And he was taking them all over the place and then developed new symptoms. So because this guy had no foreign travel, blah, 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 they sent him here. I was like, are you nuts? Like, I literally called a woman. I was so angry. I was like, are you nuts? And then I explained, and they're like, no, well, I'm just following procedure. I'm following protocol. I'm like, but this is not common sense. It's just not common sense. So then I just went off piece and did my own thing. And um, yeah, get in trouble for it. But at the end of the day, like, it's just, it's just, I just feel like some people, sometimes people need to use their brains a little bit. It's, it's good that you went off on her because at least now she's going to think about that. Well, you hope so. She won't think about it, no. But the thing is, <laughs> uh, the thing is, in medicine, <laughs> uh, this, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And um, uh, this is uh, it's a big thing about... This is why a lot of doctors like to retain their autonomy because you just... 
you, you have to be able to use your judgment and you have to be able to use common sense. Like guidelines, no situation is exactly the same. Every situation is unique and you need to assess that in a unique way. And um, yeah, it's just uh, oh, it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, cool. So finally, um, to wrap this up. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of people talk about washing hands. I'm seeing man mm. selling toilet roll tissues like they crack cocaine because they're because they're running out people doing that mask gloves so what yeah. are things that can help you safeguard yourself as best as possibly i'm not saying these are surefire ways to keep you immune but but what are the best things you could do to safeguard yourself outside to say self-isolation right. like if you're on the streets like what can you do so so there's best ways to protect yourself and there's best ways to protect everyone else and prevent spread um so the best way for hand washing is very 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 important yeah. and it's important because obviously we're touching things and all that kind of stuff and the virus is going to be on surfaces so hand washing if that's not available using hand sanitizer is really really important i think one of the most important things which is not spoken about enough is touching your face because the virus will it the virus transmits through water droplets and it goes in not just through your mouth not through your nose it goes in through your eyes and things like that so touching your, so if you touch something and then scratch your face, touch something, scratch your nose, all this type of stuff, that is putting you at higher risk of um, contracting the virus. Okay. Um, things like basic hygiene, not touching external surfaces with your hands, very important. So if you're on the tube and stuff, you try not to touch too many things, etc. Um, and then obviously washing your hands with hand sanitizer if you do, not touching your face if you do. There's not really that much evidence that these masks help. Not, I mean, a lot of these masks, there's not even a seal on them. Like I said, it goes in through your eyes anyway. If you're not wearing goggles um, <laughs> okay. as well, then... Oh, so, can, it's, so, what, so it goes through your eyes? Yeah, yeah, it can go through your eyes. It can, it can be transmitted through your eyes. Um, God damn. But, uh, yeah, so a lot of these masks aren't really helping. It's just literally for image a lot of the time. I mean, there might be some negligible um, improvement, but I don't think it will be statistically significant um, at all. Uh, and then it's just about limiting exposure. So, like I say, avoiding going to at-risk places, avoiding going to um, being in big groups, staying at home when you can. All these little types of things can um, prevent yourself from attracting it. But the thing is, nothing's foolproof and life happens. So you just got to take the best precautions you can and then, and then just hope. But the washing hands thing is so important in terms of spreading to everyone else. And then your own general hygiene. So if you do have a cough, making sure you're coughing into a tissue, you cover your mouth, hand sanitizer. Like washing hands, washing hands, washing hands is one of the biggest things and it's really, really important. Okay. You heard that, guys. So don't be bummy out here. Wash your hands. Cover, cover yourself when you're coughing and sneezing all those good things. But yeah, bro. I was just got one more thing to say because yeah. I probably scared everybody. So <laughs> I don't want to scare everyone. Um, so if you're young... It's true. Mortality rates for, say, under 40s is 0.2%. That's not too many. Um, but and um, a lot of the people who are at risk are going to have other things, so comorbidities and different health problems at the same time. Um, I mean, if you compare that, because this is my, my big bugbear is people that don't take flu seriously, because mm. flu is a killer. I mean, I, uh, I keep saying this because this guy stuck in my head. I had a 19-year-old who died of flu last year wow. and it was absolutely heartbreaking um so flu is a killer and the global mortality rate for flu is one percent so for under 40 is 0.2 percent yes it's not high and it doesn't and it's even zero percent in under nine-year-olds so kids are for some reason which i don't think they know why is uh, are, are seems to be it doesn't really seem to affect as much um so for, yes young people um 
are unli- uh, unlikely to die on the statistics, but you've got to think about everyone else. You've got to think about your loved ones. You've got to think about people with who are at risk, and you've got to think about your, our elderly people as well. So um, just try your best to um, follow the guidance and um, make sure your hygiene stop tipped off. Yeah, also people... Black people are not immune from. All right, who said this, bro? From COVID nineteen. Some Doctor Umar. Unless it's come from Doctor Umar, man ain't trying to hear it. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. That's yeah. That's definitely not true. That's yeah. definitely not true. Bad, bad, bad. Said a professional, ex-professional basketball player. He actually won a title of Golden State Warriors. Said, "I wish Doctor Sebi was alive." Big oh, wow. man. He'll tell you to smother some guacamole and lettuce on your, on your ankles, bro. Uh, Nothing's going to happen to you. No, man. Don't start me off. Don't start <laughs> me off. So, yeah. <laughs> Alright, cool. But anyway, my guy, thank yeah. you. Thank no you. problem. Do, no do, problem. Do, 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 you don't want the people to find you, do you? No, no, no. Okay, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> yeah, they, you look ask me questions and if they're valid, I'll, I'll, I'll ask Dr. Lee. But yeah. Cool. I'll Sam. Thank you. Anyway, good luck. Take care, man. <laughs> All right, cool. Hi, guys. It's MXM. And listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. Hello. I'm joined by all-star, all-star guest, my guy, David Bell, a.k.a. Mr. Macrodisiac himself. What are you saying? How's it going? Yeah, all good, uh, man. Uh, not bad. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. How, you, how have you been? How's Macrodisiac going? Yeah, no, going really well. We just uh, had the year anniversary just in January, end of January. Yeah, sick. Um, and now I'm I'm also uh, the growth director at Trading View for the UK. So oh, I didn't know that shit. Congrats. Yeah, yeah, I just started that in January as well. Oh, so sick. Just doing a couple of things at the same time, you know. Okay, big, big. That's big. Oh, congrats! I didn't even know that. All right, cool. So usually when we record, we talk about the markets, the economy, and it always seems to end in some kind of doom and gloom type perspective. So thankfully, <laughs> we're speaking at a time of the utmost doom and gloom. So. <laughs> pretty much it might be more of the same so what have your thoughts been on what's been occurring in the last few weeks or maybe months regarding the, um, the markets maybe the wider economy and this thing called COVID-19 well I think um, I think we've all it, it, I think the euphoria of the market kind of was was built up quite a bit just prior to um, the the kind of deterioration in in sentiment i think people were happy that um brexit had been done mm. um i think that people were happy that u.s growth was still strong i think the eurozone was um doing okay again still sluggish but okay um china was all right i mean they they hit their growth target of i think it was six percent mm. um so everyone was kind of happy they were appeased um and then this came along and i think what um what this coronavirus is showing is a lot of a lot of papering over the cracks that have been done um, over the last decade or so in terms of central banks have done with mm. increasing the money supply, increasing debt, um, with zombie firms being allowed to, to survive, um, and also with, with certain types of uh, financial regulation that have come about in terms of capital adequacy, um, liquidity ratios and things like that. And I think what we're seeing now, why this is so vigorous currently, is because we're seeing an unwinding of all of this euphoric sentiment, an unwinding of um, this papering over the cracks. Um, 
And I think it's, you know, it's only going to continue. I think we saw the VIX, um, which is the volatility index of the S&P 500, that spiked up to about 80. Um, the, the previous, the previous highest was, um, 2008, I believe, when it went up to 120. So we're reaching those crazy levels now of market volatility. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's interesting when you raise a point about papering over the cracks and euphoria. Um, so many of us, obviously, especially in line with central bank activity of keeping interest rates dirt cheap for such prolonged periods of time and quantitative ease and all that, all it's done is really propped up um, asset prices. So it's interesting because many um, of us have always felt like a market correction was overdue and coming and it just seems like corona, the coronavirus, COVID-19, has been that catalyst to initiate the correction. So we're seeing the markets all over the gaff get absolutely battered for the last week or two, especially especially in the US. I think I saw you tweet earlier today, the Dow was taking a batter in the weekend, taking a batter in today. Or was that you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, was yeah, that? The, yeah, so IG have a weekend market. It's based on the weight of money. It's not based on any actual orders being um, filled and paired up. But it's showing that people are betting on more downside on the US um on the US Dow market, um, so the Dow Jones Industrial Index, um, for the open on Sunday evening or Monday, Monday morning. Um, so yeah, I mean that's just showing showing you what people are thinking over over the weekend of what the risks are. Yeah, um <laughs> to say investor sentiment isn't very strong is a is an understatement. So David, um so for the audience who are listening who don't understand how quite Okay, we've got a virus. How does that how does that um, correlate with people wanting to sell their stocks and um, stock prices going down? So explain to the audience why there's a correlation between something like um, COVID nineteen and people panicking and selling their stocks. Well, I think we can think of it from the most um, basic way, almost relative to what the the listener might might experience. So, let's say for example that. Um, you stop going to work, okay, and your productivity decreases. What might that naturally lead to? Might lead to a decrease in company's revenue, which then, for the next quarter, would have a hit on the earnings per share growth. Um, so investors are very much forward thinking in terms of shit. I don't really want to hold this to the the confirmation of the the news about this company being bad. So I may yeah. as well dump this stock now. Yeah. Um, but there's also you know for more far reaching things such as supply chain. Um, disruptions um, so people are saying crap these orders might not be able to get filled or um, people might not want to order as much so it just has a real massive knock-on effect but I think one of the biggest issues is to do with the credit markets um, and not so much stocks stocks are easy to, to kind of um, handle people they tend to recover credit markets are the ones that will take an absolute batter in here um, purely because there's a lot of leveraged loans or cov light loans, which are basically loans that have been taken out and the lender doesn't have much coverage, much protection. So if a firm now starts to default because they're not getting paid enough or they're not earning enough money, then that really, really affects the credit markets and there's no protection for the lender. So um, what have you seen happen in the credit market so far in the last, let's say, week or two? So if I just get up a chart now, actually, one sec. Um, there's a market called HYG, 
which is a, a high yield index, and that basically comprises a lot of junk um, bonds. And we've seen that collapse in line with equities. Um, high yield bonds are basically corporate bonds that companies issue, um, and uh, they're graded. So um, they're graded below. So triple B and above is investment grade credit, and that will have a lower yield than the junk stuff. Basically, because it has a lower yield, because you're taking on less risk. Okay, mm. you're giving money to a, a firm that is less likely to default. So let's say you give money to Apple. Okay, you might buy Apple bonds. Um, Apple's really, really unlikely to default. Yes. But then there might be a really shit oil um, drilling firm, and they might be graded. I don't know triple c or something so their yield might be like 20 percent, whereas apples is probably i don't know two three percent something like that maybe less um so the risk of holding one is is uh is less than the other so you get paid less basically um but the problem as well is that ratings agencies have misgraded a lot of this apparently investment grade credit a lot of this credit should actually be triple b and below oh sorry not triple b below triple b um but again, it comes back to echoes of 2008 where the ratings agencies um, aren't, aren't grading the credit at the right the right um, tranche, if you want to put it that way, or the right grading. Um, and that's creating a risk distortion because it's not priced correctly. Um, and if there is a big downgrade now in credit, what's that going to do? That's really going to make send, uh, investors shit themselves. Yeah, it's going to send us into the absolute flipping frenzy, similar to 2008. Okay. <coughs> So that's not the market side. So if we look at it on a more macroeconomic level, mm-hmm. so how do you see, um, in your opinion, um, are we heading towards a global economic recession? I'd say yes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, by the way. What's that? I'm in agreement with you, by the way. Yeah. Hmm. If, we look at, um, if we look at Italy, for example, I think their growth in the period before last was, uh, sorry, in the last period actually, was negative. Mm. Um, and I don't think naturally after this lockdown, they're going to have anywhere near 0% growth. I think it's going to yeah, be, yeah, 100. you know, maybe even below 1%, negative 1%. Um, so there's your first case that we're heading to a global recession. And the problem with Italy as well is that um, their, their sovereign debt is owned a lot by their own domestic banks and the the risk weighting of sovereign debt when bought in euros by european countries is weighed at zero however italy has massive risk so i, I don't see how the banks <laughs> how that works here yeah. it doesn't make sense to me um, and it's a politicization of regulation which is what i was talking about earlier about the papering over the cracks um, so if Italian yields go up, then banks are massively affected. Unicredit um, and and in, I think it's Interesso, I can't remember the specific name. But Unicredit are a big risk that I'm looking at at the moment. Um, so Italy, I think it could be, it could be born out of Italy, really. Um, China, there's no point really looking at for adequate data to, to see if they're going to be in a recession or not because no one knows if their data is actually true or not. And yeah. that's common commonly known um the uk i mean we had zero percent growth didn't we in the last reading which was wednesday i believe um the us is still doing okay um their growth rate is above two percent 
but again, it could be a really, really quick reversion to the longer term mean um, where we start heading towards zero. I think there will be a recession, um, but I think it could be a bit of a a bit of a recovery, and then we get the big one. Mm. So you know, over the next two years, it'll be really interesting. But I think we'll get a recession sooner rather than later. But it'll be it will be a double dip. Okay, so you thought like that there'll be a quick bounce back, and then the real the real the real big one will come at us again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like with what we're seeing, I feel like it seems like we're headed that way. Also, um, what I do worry about, I want to discuss with you is, we saw what happened in 2008. We've probably podcasted on it like at least three or four times. Yeah. Um, and we saw the reaction from the central banks and government. So we got a lot of quantitative easing, which for those that who don't know, basically the central banks just floated money into the into the atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had a lot of... Um, we had a lot of austerity in certain places, um, especially in the EU, with places like Greece, Cyprus, um, Portugal, all those other places. Um, for those people who are still pro-EU and anti-austerity with the Tories, just I'd love to, to point that one out. Um, <laughs> so what tools do, do we actually have to combat another recession? Because interest rates are already super low. For example, um, the Fed cut rates what, a week or two ago, um, Bank of England cut rates earlier this week from to 0.25%. What tools do we really have? Like, I, I think, did, um, I think, wasn't it? I think Trump was actually putting pressure on the, the Fed actually to cut rates further. Um, there's talks of different, um, different groups um, pumping money into the country, into their economies and stuff. So, what do you, what do you think, what tools do you think are available and are they going to be as effective? or ineffective or whatnot? What's your view on that? Well, in terms of monetary tools, I don't think um, lowering interest rates or increasing um, repo availability or committing to QE is going to be able to fight a virus. Um, If people's behaviour is primarily impacted by um, the short-term risks of mm. things like, you know, not wanting to leave their fucking house. Yeah. You know, monetary policy is not going to do anything to regards to that what what could be um what could be a necessary policy and i think is a policy that governments are undertaking now um, apart from the eurozone i might add that um <laughs> is that um they provide adequate support to smes um i think it's it's something like i think it's about just over 50 percent of people work for smes now and the margins at SMEs can be quite tight. After all, costs are... Oh, for those who don't know, that's small to medium-sized companies. But continue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think what the, what the governments are trying to do is to allow SMEs to have things like uh, holidays on payments and yeah. things like this, just purely because they know that if they don't get enough business maybe over the course of two months, so it could send a lot of them under, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and put, put a lot of people out of work. And that is a big risk um, to to kind of a, a recessionary, recessionary pressure. Um, and I think that's the kind of policy they have to follow, and that's naturally on the fiscal side. Monet- monetary policy will not work in this case. And the monetary policy that the Fed and the Bank of England are trying to follow, in my view, are really there to appease the money markets yeah. ra- rather than actually feed through to, to the real economy. Um, to the real economy, the demand side, yeah. 
and yeah. that's and it's not it's a natural progression for them because they don't want to see liquidity seize up in in the banking sectors and then have a repeat of 2008 that's the one number one thing that they want to try and avoid because it just then shows that they've done absolutely fuck all to <laughs> um, fix anything post 2008 but they're actually just making it worse for themselves by doing all of this exactly and I, I, I agree i agree with that as well but um then again i i don't like the the significance that central banks have seemingly started to have in terms of wider politics and responding to economic crisis really and truly their job is just to you know imp- uh, control the country's yeah. currency that's like like why are, why are central banks getting involved in the climate debate yeah um, yeah that's mad do, do you want to know why okay so um the the, the ecb are naturally committed to expanding their balance sheet because if they were to start to run it off then they would um they would cause really really big issues in terms of liquidity and sentiment and things like that but one thing that I noticed in 2008 was that they were pressuring and they were asking governments to um, issue green bonds, which have a yield of less than uh, sovereign debt, so less than the government bonds, but they're still issued by the government. And the reason for that is because the EU can then go and pick the, the Eurozone, the ECB, can then go and buy those green bonds and add to. The, the quantitative easing program because they were running out of assets to buy. So this is why I think central banks are getting involved so heavily in the climate debate and why they need to involve themselves in pretty much fucking everything. Because they're because, special interest. Exactly. Because they need to continue on the train that they've kind of started. The train's left the station and they can't stop it. Tragic. It is actually so tragic. It's a mess. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of um, central banks being no. so involved because they're unelected officials. Yeah, as I've always said, central banks have a bigger effect on people's lives than politicians. It's just politicians are in your face. Yeah. Central banks aren't. Yeah, they're tucked away somewhere. I yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, damn. Okay, cool. Well, to, to wrap up this part, so where do you see, what do you see happening in the next um, two to three weeks in terms of maybe markets or the economy? What 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 are you, or what, or let me rephrase that. What are you looking out for in the next few weeks? I think we're going to hear about a couple of big funds blowing up. Mm. Um, maybe not massive funds, not like Ray Dalio Bridgewater size funds, but um, once they've kind of reconciled their P&Ls and seen what their their risk is looking like, I don't really see them. But I, I kind of see, yeah, a few stories of real horrors. Um, I do see the markets heading lower. Um, over the next week or two, because we just we're still in such a big period of uncertainty that you know it's, it's really really difficult to get on the bid side of, of equities. Um, I'm personally happy playing the downside in some risk uh, specific currency pairs like Aussie yen, CAD yen, uh, CAD Swissy, um, and also getting longer on dollar yen as well, purely because. There's becoming a bit of a funding problem in dollar markets, and that naturally pushes up the dollar a little bit more. Um, but really, I'm staying away from equities myself, purely because uh, it's just too too dangerous for me to play them. Really, I don't have enough of an edge. Yeah, it's it's crazy because um, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at what's been happening over the last week, like I'll pick up my phone on let's say on a Monday, footsie's down eight percent, worst. Since 1987 or something, man, like that. I'm like, raw. Yeah, the I next thing about the FTSE though, FTSE's up seven percent. Um, 
Look on. The good, th- good thing about the FTSE is though is that the um, the price of the FTSE relative to the dividends paid out mm. is is massive. So you can pick up, uh, I think it's twelve to thirteen percent on the FTSE a year. Yeah. Now. So it's worth it. Yeah, that's what. Um, so loads of people have been asking me for investment tips. I'm uh, um, IFA. I can't come and give you investment tips, but me personally, I'm still looking to to dip into the FTSE. S and P five hundred and all those other American markets have been so so volatile. <coughs> So I understand why you're staying away from equities for the time being because it's actually just absolute carnage happening. And I do find it, and also I do find it proper um, funny seeing those those um, posts, even from responsible people like Bloomberg and stuff. Jeff Bezos has lost eighteen eighteen billion dollars today. I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, it's ridiculous. It's it's uh, if he were to have sold, okay, the amount of stock to realize eighteen billion dollars in one go. He wouldn't have been able to do it because the price would be about I don't know twenty five percent lower anyway. Mm. This they, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it gets clicks, yeah, but it's, it's just such a stupid thing to say. <coughs> so it's probably a clip, it's a proper clickbait thing. It's so annoying, but yeah. Mm, okay, so I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to address, David, on this Saturday afternoon. There's yeah, it's just been a bit of a shit show, really. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't see it getting any better quickly. Yeah. Um, it's uh, we have to remember as well that you know, um, as as traders, we focus on the markets, um, and we make a joke about things, but we also do remember that it, it's going to cause a lot of pain across the economy, um, and you know, people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, I saw um, Boeing, the BA was it the BA issued uh, jobs jobs warning that they're gonna obviously um, airline industry is taking an absolute batter and people aren't flying at all, so yeah. there there's gonna be job losses over there which is gonna be tragic. So yeah, people are gonna lose jobs, lose lives. It's it's a very worrying time actually. Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, it's just scary and so because it's different it's different to 2008 because at least then it was just the banking crash yeah word <laughs> you know? here is is a combination of so many more things um and it's beyond a lot of people's comprehensions i think um i don't even think the newspapers really have started talking about the stock market crashes um but when the sun launches a, a front page if if they haven't already i don't think they have that's when i'll be buying again <laughs> it's a nice little contrarian indicator. <laughs> Alright, cool. Okay, well, we'll leave it at that. But David, thank you for joining me again on relatively short notice as usual. You've been nice a pleasure. One, and where can people find you, you on social media or your works or anything that you're in relation with? Uh, Twitter.com slash macrodesiac underscore. Um, there's also a 30-day free trial of Macrodesiac now if you just want to sign up. You can use Apple Pay too, which is very helpful. Which gives, which gives absolutely no excuse. It's just okay. two clicks. Um, or macrodesiac.com. Okay, wonderful. David, thank you again for joining me. Nice one, mate. Speak to you later. Hi, guys. I'm XM. And listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. It's late. It's late. This week has been a very um, dramatic week. We've seen the rise in cases and unfortunate fatalities regarding COVID-19. And this has impacted many things. For example, the man that ain't got football no more. We ain't got NBA. Like loads of things are being cancelled. Certain like the E3 conference, um, certain party destination, holidays, holidays in general. Loads of things being impacted. But another thing that was heavily impacted was the budget. Um, this is another budget. Well, another, this is a segment for the podcast regarding the budget, and it was announced this week. 
and it was announced by the new chancellor, so it's no longer Shadid Javid. Um, then man were trying to come on some cooting, tell him that, yeah, this is what you're going to have to be doing and telling him who to hire and all them things there. And he was like, later, I ain't doing that. So we now got Rishi Sunak, another um, successful banker. And he's now the new Chancellor of the Exchequer. And he's been Chancellor since February 2020. So, the budget. There was various segments to the budget. And the first one I want to go into, the first area of the budget I want to look into is the corona response stuff. So, um... Mr. Sunak, he announced a five billion emergency fund to help support the NHS. So the NHS is very stressed, um, as you could tell from the first segment of the podcast about the lack of resources and one one one. There's going to be extra money needed, and so for the litter, for the doctors and nurses, there's a lot of local money out there for you. Go grab that. Um, people who are self isolated are now entitled to statutory sick pay, even without symptoms. So even if you're just you've been told to self isolate, you ain't got no symptoms. If you're missing out on pay, you're entitled to statutory um, um, sick pay, which is up to £94.25 £94 per week. So obviously that's not, depending on how much you earn, Like that's not the greatest deal, but it's still something. Some self-employed people are thinking, Raw, what about me, cur? Well, self-employed people who can't claim were able to claim something called the ESA. So that's an employment support allowance. So if you're under the age of 25, um you are entitled to up to £57.90. If you're over the age of 25, you're entitled to up to £73.10. So that's um, considerably less than the £94.25 for um, full-time or part-time um, workers. Firms with, 200, firms with 250 members of staff and less will be refunded sick pay payments for up to two weeks. So this is to kind of help smaller businesses deal with the strain of lost production and still having to pay and their members of staff. Small firms will be able to access a business interpretation loan up to £1.2 million. Pounds. B- sorry, business interruption loan. Because obviously um, COVID-19 is stopping supply chains, it's stopping people going out to shop and purchase stuff, some people are to fly, so it's really having a massive impact on business. So the government doesn't want a, a lot of small businesses to go down, because the vast majority of businesses in the UK, I think it's at least 50% are small to, small to medium-sized um, firms, and they obviously employ people, and that makes a big difference to the real economy. Business rates will be abolished for firms in the retail, leisure and hospitality sector with relative value below £51,000. So this is just a, the business rates itself as a tax as a scam. So it's good to see the government moving towards getting rid of that, especially in this time. So that's very, very, very good news. Um, also regarding NHS, the extra £6, six billion pounds, um, NHS funding over the next five years, this is targeted at staff recruitment and upgrades in hospitals. So... Um, another NHS pledge, you know, the political football that it that it tends to be that yeah we're we're looking after our our health workers in this time. So now to the more um, personal finance and business side of things. So there's a thing called national insurance that we all pay, most of us pay, and there's a threshold. It's about just over eight thousand pounds, and before you start paying um, national insurance, well, uh, Rishi Sunak has increased that threshold from up to £9,500. This is effectively a, cap, a tax cut for 31 million people and it saves the average worker £100 a year, which is fantastic news. Um, in fact, that will take 500,000 people out of paying that tax altogether, which is great news. 
The junior ISA, which current allowance um, before you get taxed was about £4,368. They've, they've now more than doubled that. So now it goes up to £9,000. This is really to um, incentivize people saving um, for their junior ones. So that's the junior ISA allowance. Shout out, that's all in there. Duty on beverages has been frozen for a year. Regarding foreign buyers in houses in the UK, so people, from, let's say, from Saudi Arabia, or Italy, Japan, Nigeria, wherever you want to call it, who want to purchase homes in the UK, there's now an additional 2% increase in stamp duty for these people purchasing homes. And the government have claimed that this extra money is going to be used to combat homelessness. 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 Why can't I speak? I'm not going to bother. But I'm a big fan of this because I do not believe that foreign um, investors and buyers should be inflating our housing market, which is making it difficult for the people to actually live and pay taxes every day and put money to the real economy every day. So I'm a big fan of that. Also, the... The pension tax contribution is gonna be uh, is gonna be um, for higher earners is gonna be um, it's gonna be soothed a bit. This is meant to be targeted at NHS doctors who get who often get hit with a higher tax bill. So that's good news for the higher earners, especially the doctors. Um, also, five percent VAT on women's sanitary products will be scrapped, so which is good. This is known as a tampon tax. Um, firms eligible for for small business rates. Relief will get an additional £3,000 um, grant, cash grant, which is good. I think they're really trying to help out small businesses stay afloat in these troubling times because economically it's looking a bit peak. Um, there's going to be an extra £5 billion spent on getting gigabyte-capable broadband to the hardest places to reach in the country, which is good. You want to have all the country in the modern times, and that's going to increase people's ability to learn and be productive. A £600 billion windfall on roads, rail, broadband and housing by 2025. So over the next five years, big money in, in investing in infrastructure in the United Kingdom. An extra £1.5 billion for further education colleges. This is to kind of increase and upgrade the quality of their buildings. So again, this is more investment back into the world economy. And £650 million, million pounds for homelessness. An extra 6,000 space for rough, rough sleepers, which is a very, very big issue, especially for men. 75% of rough sleepers are tend to be men. Regarding the economic forecast, um, growth has been revised down from 1.4% to 1.1%. I suspect it's going to get lower and lower as corona keeps pounding the economy. The forecast is 1.8% by 2022 and one5 by 2023. <laughs> I'll be very, very surprised if we manage to reach those numbers. So that is a summary of, I think, what my listeners would like to hear regarding um, the budget. Um, but I'm going to go through some of the questions them that I've received. So somebody, um, Fredinho7924, has asked me, does IR35 still make sense this? No, <laughs> I'm saying this maybe from a biased point of view, but it's really, really impacting just the jobs market. So for example, I'm a contractor, and when my last contract ended, it like there's so much competition now for jobs now. And I think certain companies, I think one of the major banks is saying we're not having contractors at all, period. So now you're going to have all these people in the jobs market. It's just, it's just annoying. In terms of, um, I got a question from Jacked. Um, I don't, lovely young lady. I don't know why her name's after Jacked. I need to change that B. 
to ask, do you think the coronavirus measures in the budget were extensive enough, especially in terms of giving individuals help? No, I do not believe. I believe there's a, there's a need to be more money invested into um, NHS provisions, screening absolutely everywhere and everywhere, especially um, speaking about what happens in airports. And definitely more and more money pumped into businesses and in terms of investment for work, people working from home, especially civil servants. Um, OT button tweets asked me what I consider a left-leaning budget. Um, yes, a bit more left-leaning, a lot more um, expenditure in terms of public services. So probably, yeah. Uh, who asked a question? Life and Joy says, these business corona loans, <laughs> what's the tea? Um, I'm not sure, but um, um, as I detailed in the podcast, I think it's more to help businesses survive in these periods where they're willing to borrow you money. Um, uniquely, SB asks, highlights the longer term pitfalls, please. I think I've already gone through that. Uh, also, any effects on freelancers? <sighs> I don't. I'm not sure how the um, the ESA laws really help freelancers. I'm not sure if it provides you with much coverage. So I can't answer that with much vim, unfortunately. Um, Ski dot How how does it compare to previous budgets, please? Well, obviously, it's more focused on a particular issue itself, um, and I feel like this has. And in, in previous budgets, you see a lot more talk on what happens with income tax, um, little tweaks here and there, or maybe little tweaks of capital gains. We didn't have much in that. We only really had talks on national insurance. So that's probably how it differs from those. Anyway, but yeah, I'm going to do a thread, probably a bit more detailed thread where I talk about more detail in terms of the alcohol and export-import duties and the environment and borrowing stuff like that, for just in case somebody wants to listen. But thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. Any questions, hashtag Dysonomics on Twitter, Instagram at Dysonomics Pod on Instagram at underscore Nomics on Twitter. Don't forget to listen to the last three digits trending on a Sunday, so the 29th, I believe, if Corona don't kill us all. And stay safe out there in these streets. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.